Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from thousands of successful individuals from around the world. I'm your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm privileged to welcome a very, very accomplished professional from Mumbai, India, Professor Dr. A.K.S. Suryavanshi. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Thanks, sir. And a very happy morning to you. Thank you. Uh, Professor Suryavanshi is the chief mentor of the Giet Foundation and the co-founder of the Skill and Scale Singapore Private Limited. He's the former vice chancellor of the Karnavati University in Ahmedabad and SGT University in Gurugram. And he has been recognized, awarded and felicitated several times. So before we talk about Giet Foundation, tell me about your own journey in brief. Thanks a lot. Uh, actually, the, the the if you look at journey of a teacher is very small and actually not so significant as it looks like. Mm -hmm. However, uh, uh, you know, I belong to Mumbai and uh, I have uh, close to 28 years of experience, but uh, initial years of life around eight years, eight and a half years, mm -hmm. I work with industries, uh, including Reliance Industry Limited. Mm -hmm. Later on, I did my full-time PhD and shifted to academics. So last 21 years, uh, I have been academics, both as a teacher, as a professor of marketing, mm -hmm. and uh, as well as uh, the way it comes along, uh, a bit of academic administration came, which you cannot avoid uh, being a dean of a business school, uh, right. then handling the role of executive director, mm -hmm. and finally the vice chancellor. Mm -hmm. But most important, uh, it was always mentoring the students in the classroom, of the classrooms. I was fortunate to mentor some of the startups also. Mm -hmm. And uh, as a startup culture, uh, it was interesting to know the students' ideas, little bit help out. Of course, uh, no professor can really transform any ideas. Right. It's only that uh, we, uh, I could only help the students reinforce their own belief in their own ideas. Mm, well so that said. was one. And along it went at the journey for last so many years. Uh, it was uh, primarily doing some of the work for the industry consortium as a part of uh, so many government uh, missions. I was mm. a part of Ministry of Corporate Affairs when MCA 21 project was launched uh, mm. and it was given to uh, DSIR CDC, the Consultancy Development Center under DSI, DSIR. Ministry of Science and Technology. So I served on that uh, advisory committee for a couple of years. And uh, apart from that, uh, I've been part of uh, semiconductor mission right. advisory board. So basically, uh, the whole journey has been around academics, learning, and also learning from the students. Well said. So let's talk about the Gate Foundation. Help me understand what the foundation does and what are its main goals. Gate Foundation is... Uh, something around almost 15 years old and mm -hmm. a group of academics from India and abroad, we started this foundation, which is strictly not for profit mm -hmm. and uh, our registered foundation, which uh, from the income tax, it is exempt from the income tax. Mm -hmm. But we started this foundation, uh, as you said, not for profit, uh, not to start any academic institution of our own. Mm -hmm. Our aim was uh, to empower and also help the universities and higher educational institutions uh, adopt technology, adopt simulations to do some of those faculty development program and academic curriculum reviews. Of course, uh, we also guided some of the project in Singapore and Indonesia that was around microfinance right. and e-learning project. So basically this foundation uh, is guided by a group of academics, which is from 
some of them are from ivy league uh, universities mm-hmm. uh, we don't take any uh, honorarium out of it uh, we just do our services mm-hmm. and help our fellow uh, academics fellow professors and also corporate to to basically adopt some of those inputs or the action points which can help out either the society at large specifically women mm-hmm. and uh, also the students wonderful so, so can you give us an example of the kind of support you are giving to all these institutions support like uh, for example some of those universities uh, they wanted to adopt a part of uh, curriculum as a simulation mm-hmm. so we did it of course simulation was not designed by us there are uh, expert companies uh, who do the simulation work so uh, basically but to connect and to let them know which part of the course which part of the subject or the part of the subject that could be taught through simulations mm-hmm. instead of classroom of course the machine learning etc came later on what mm-hmm. we hear about ai embedded learning this is very recent right it's hardly 4 5 years old but earlier mm-hmm. it was basically simulations the simulation still is very popular mm-hmm. uh, in the business school in the universities so we normally try to help them uh, identify those simulations mm-hmm. which can replace our uh, teaching in the classroom mm-hmm. so this is one mm-hmm. as far the work is concerned second we also help uh, the institution those who are interested to identify the gaps among the faculty members across different faculties across different disciplines mm-hmm. and to tell them uh, that uh, which faculty will require how many days of faculty development program mm-hmm. to learn the new technique to learn the pedagogy shift and also to uh, you know to create contents mm-hmm. so that was a second element of the program and the third mm-hmm. element uh, if you see we do a lot of outreach right for example universities want to do some outreach in the rural area mm-hmm. so we help them uh, with the structure of a rural area i have been part of selection committee for piramal foundation for ashoka fellow which which there is a very popular yeah. program by piramal foundation which right. we held them out choose uh, some of those bright young minds out of iit bombay mm-hmm. and uh, some of the other institution so it's not very state funnel but anything that comes around higher education learning micro entrepreneurship uh, we we try to help out hmm. and you know you have a lot of mentors in the foundation true help me understand the role of these mentors and how do they contribute to your mission these mentors uh, it's a pro bono of mm-hmm. course uh, and uh, all, all we could take here is a cup of coffee probably mm-hmm. uh, that's all uh, but these mentors are uh, driven by self and suppose we identify an institution where they require some of the help in a given area for example someone needs the help into insurance mm-hmm. and try to identify some new training program out of insurance sector right then we have a mentor from insurance sector whom we connect we do the work of course uh, the institution sometime pay mm-hmm. they are required to pay for basically the travel or the expenditure required for the advisory mm-hmm. but 90% it is pro bono so these mentors come along and they bring their uh, a lot of experiences uh, that they have gained out of their own practice right out of their own corporate life or academic life and they share the knowledge mm-hmm. and show them the path so this is one part mm-hmm. second part is that sometimes we also have an in residence and uh, that's how i look up to you also i'm going to trouble you very soon mm-hmm. for this small request to help out uh, so we request them to travel be in the residence and it's a free format mm-hmm. free format like uh, students and group of faculty is free there is no agenda mm-hmm. the expert in is in the residence and you ask can you just meet out 
and uh, find your own ways out. So instead of doing... Uh, yeah. So the, the other t- challenge that I have seen every time, you know, there are so many different mentors, is that from the perspective of the foundation, how do you maintain quality of programs? Quality of programs, uh, the way I said that we do not deliver in-campus program because that is delivered by the specific institution themselves. Mm. So we are only as per the, the content, the structure part of it, mm. not the execution part of it. Right. So execution they do. But however, uh, we normally set a benchmark. Mm. For example, if somebody wants to set up, let's say a microbiology lab, then we try to have a benchmark in the microbiology lab and get expert and help them out. Mm-hmm. What are those ex- uh, equipments, instruments that they will require to set it up as per their budget? Because budget can be infinite, mm-hmm. but every institution uh, may not have infinite budget. Correct. Uh, and uh, there are very few uh, corporate universities in India, which is a mm-hmm. very good sign, which is a very good sign. I think should have happened uh, at least 30 years back. Right. When government started withdrawing from establishing their own institutions, uh, and not in so many numbers as they could mm. and leaving it to the open uh, dynamics. But instead of uh, individual setting up the institutions, it's a corporate now, for example, Bennett University, mm. uh, BIT University, Shivnadar University, Manipal was one, even Amity mm. University, mm. which I regard a lot. So Amity University has set up several institutions. And if you look at uh, Mahindra University out of Hyderabad mm. and many other universities uh, also, Ajim Premji University out mm. of Bangalore Correct. and so and so forth. And I heard that a couple of more universities are being set up and institutions are uh, primarily funded by the corporate and even run by the corporate. Mm. So that is a good sign. Mm. So as far the quality, so normally we maintain the benchmark mm. and we try to reach out that, okay, this is the benchmark. And uh, this you can adopt in phase. Normally, we give three phases, sir. Mm. Phase one, phase two, phase three, because some institutions do not have that kind of capital for the year one. Right. So we say, okay, instead of waiting, let's start slow. Mm. And phase two, you could go, and phase three, you can go. So that's how we work. And mentors help out. Fascinating. So now let's talk a little bit about higher education in India. And you have been at the helm of several uh, institutions. Uh, My first question is that what are some of the unique challenges Indian universities face when you compare them to their international competitors? There are plenty, but I think, you know, the first is that content Mm -hmm. and the structure of the content. Mm -hmm. And the third is the pedagogy that is delivery. Right. Because international universities are mostly basically the students, a lot of peer learning is there. Mm. And of course, in India also, there are there. Uh, mm. The top in institutions, uh, some of the IEMs do pretty well, IIT do pretty well. But if you look at the overall around uh, 1130 plus universities in India, okay. including central government, state mm. universities and the private state universities, mm. plus deemed universities, Around, uh, if you look at 21 IAMs, uh, around uh, 20 IITs, Correct. around 32 NITs, mm. and similar 36, 37 central universities, triple IITs, and Indian Institute of Science, which is very apex. Mm. They are uh, numerous, you know, as far as the basic science is concerned. Right. They are. But if you compare around 40,000 colleges of higher education, 1130 universities, so these efforts are very less. Mm. So what we suffer normally is that the quality of content mm. because we are still not uh, able to adopt the content uh, which is good mm-hmm. or uh, maybe we lack uh, the teachers who can teach those content mm. 
Mm-hmm. The second aspect is the structure. Mm-hmm. How do we do? For example, uh, the student ratio is very poor still. Uh, it's not as good as international universities. The right. ratio is less. The third aspect is that there's more emphasis on the classroom teaching mm-hmm. instead of beyond the classroom mm-hmm. uh, learning uh, because then the teachers are supposed to do a lot of other work. Mm-hmm. For example, they are supposed to do the real intramural projects, mm-hmm. extramural projects, their own research, working with the students, working with the corporate. So these activities are not comparable to the developed economy, not right. in that number. Right. So this is the one challenge we find. But off late, is that a challenge about what to do with the technology? Mm. We are a bit slow to adopt technology. Mm. We are still wondering whether we should go hybrid mode, whether we should be completely 80% the classroom delivery. Mm. And this artificial intelligence embedded or enabled classroom is just starting. Mm-hmm. There is no going back. We'll have to adopt with a caution. Mm-hmm. So here we are lacking a bit. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I have seen with universities uh, outside, whether it's in the West or even in the East, there is a very close relationship that universities have with, with, with industry. Do you see this as a challenge for Indian universities or do you think this is changing? So this uh, has been always a challenge uh, right after independence and when the around 1975-80 more I'll say about when the new economic policy, the liberalization came Mm -hmm. uh, under uh, Dr. Manmohan Singh uh, Prime Ministership in 1991 Mm -hmm. and then uh, more in number around when the the new economic policy was revised around 2000. Mm -hmm. So 23 years time, uh, a lot of water has flown down the Ganga. Mm -hmm. However, uh, we find that yes, this is a challenge that remains as far as the interface between academics and the corporate is concerned. Mm. It is increasing. To some extent, uh, academics, we are also not reaching out to the corporates as we should mm. because of uh, lack of budget. Mm. Again, lack of faculty. Because if the faculty ratio is less, the faculty you need on the campus to teach. Mm. If the faculty ratio is higher, yeah. uh, then uh, you have... Again, it's not a generalization. Some of the institutions have done tremendously well. They're as good as the developed economy. But if you look at overall the sector, Mm -hmm. I'm speaking from the sector perspective. Yes, we lack a lot. And the second element, the corporates are also divided. For example, if you go through the Nifty 50 companies, top 50, Mm -hmm. of course, they also keep on changing indexes. And the BSC, the top 30 companies, let's say top 250 companies out of India listed companies, mm-hmm. not all are also open. Mm-hmm. And they also have a lens that uh, which institution they would open. So some of the institutions or universities may be very small, very young, mm-hmm. but the big corporates may not like to engage them because they are not very sure of their, I will say, intention, mm-hmm. capability, or also the resources. Well said. So they are not very sure about uh, whatever areas uh, they could. So that is uh, one element. But mm-hmm. however, of late, what is happening is that the some of the academics, the professors mm-hmm. themselves are trying to uh, take the lead and reach out. And this is increasing of late. Uh, this is a good sign. Mm-hmm. Well said. Great response. Thank you. The other thing is that I've often noticed that Indian universities are not producing enough PhDs or not doing enough research. I mean, you are a product on and you've done your PhD, but what is it that is 
holding back so much more research in our universities? So there are two uh, questions. One is that uh, the institutions are not producing as many PhD mm -hmm. as required. Uh, the response against that, uh, I'll put it uh, very simple. One is that uh, the PhD, anybody who wants to do the PhD, mm -hmm. the financial support and resources are not adequately provided. Mm -hmm. Most of them, you'll find the developed economy, the fees, tuition fees is waived off and uh, they will get endowment. They will get yeah. some free ship. And also professors under whom they do, they engage them. In India, it is not. The PhD, mm -hmm. the students have to pay themselves. They have to take care of their boarding, lodging, and all the expenditure. So this holds back uh, those uh, people uh, who wish to do the full-time PhD and shift to academics. Mm -hmm. Or after graduation or the post-graduation, some of them would like to straight away start earning, even if they have urged for doing a PhD. But PhD takes almost four years. Right. So leaving four years without salary, without income, it is very difficult for even the brightest of the mind. Right. So this is the lack of uh, funding, lack of faculty, uh, resources. This is one. Hmm. But on the flip side, it is good that we are not producing as many because then it will become like unemployable graduates. Hmm. We produce a lot of engineers, hardly 15-20% are really having a skill or employable. Hmm. So PhD, if if uh, somebody has to I mean, ask me, I'll say, please have only full-time PhD on the campus, at least for one year, if not more at the full-time residential, that's the only way to produce a good PhD. Of course, as I say, IIT, IMs all have a full-time ones and they do they do support financially. There are a lot of facilities, but then again, I say they are all limited to 100, 7,500 institutions. So right. that is one, uh, that is one which is uh, uh, definitely holding them. As far as the research is concerned, mm -hmm. research incentive, is lacking because if you put the faculty in the classroom uh let's say for three four hours daily mm -hmm. so on an average if i say the privately owned institutions who are not uh, funded by the top uh you know promoters mm -hmm. uh, corporate promoters or, or you know the way i mentioned about uh, yeah. institutions like amity manipal shivnadar mm -hmm. etc mm -hmm. then the faculty is supposed to teach almost uh, 16 to 18 hours per week mm -hmm. So that there is no time for them to do the research. Mm. Internationally, so much of workload is not there. Right. So these well two are the, yes. Sir. Well said. Uh, my next question is on technology, you know, and you mentioned a few minutes ago that we are not using technology as efficiently. But what, in your opinion, has been the impact of the digital transformation on higher education? It has been off late. Uh, I mean, it, it has shouted. I'll mm. say it's not a whispering. It has just shouted and mm. digitalization was earlier also when mm. things came. But then of last four or five years, earlier we had at most uh, Moodle uh, as a repository ERP. Then the ERP, several other ERP came, uh, even by Oracle, the PeopleSoft, TCS came with their own ERP. Some of the universities went through the customized ERP and they started putting the digital content. Mm. But of late, what is happening is that it has liberated students hmm. from, I'll say photocopies. You'll find earlier students doing 30, 40 photocopies almost every day hmm. or making notes. So that part, instead of making photocopies and making notes, at least that much time the students have got Correct. to go through more of a studies, have the peer discussions, hmm. go through uh, a lot of new, uh, which is uh, tech-driven learning, also online learning. Right. So that is one. 
second the technology in the classroom uh, it has happened some of the universities which is increasing every year mm. have started offering access to online content mm. whether it's by coursera whether it's by upgrad whether it's by swim mm. uh, which is by ugc uh, so they have access so it's not that the student can learn everything in the classroom right uh, so that is uh, taken care but on uh, other side even faculty is uh, a great input has come Mm. because we have repository of a lot of knowledge a lot of data so earlier data finding data digging i'll say used to take a lot of time mm. so now data digging is not taking a lot of time and second is data analysis mm. now the technology is doing analysis for us mm. so that is also saving some time i'll say mm. but the negative part is that it is also killing our natural intelligence mm. and natural instinct or natural analytical part mm. which uh, used to come through a human interface very interesting so that is also a negative part very which is happening yes. very interesting so i've got time for one more question for you and i want to talk to you about the national education policy 2020 i wanted to get your perspective uh, dr suryavanshi on the impact of the national education policy 2020 on the future of higher education in india so this is a very good question sir that you asked and uh, the present government uh, headed by honorable prime minister uh, mr narendra modi this was the best uh, that could happen to higher education mm -hmm. uh, the national education policy implementation that 2020 was of course implemented fully i i can say from 2022 but 2023 definitely it is all across universities it has helped in many ways and i list few mm -hmm. one it has given flexibility to the students to learn go back to the work come back begin from where they left mm -hmm. so for example all the undergraduate program now as of four years uh, i'm talking about honors program or the research right. program which is at par with us canadian universities mm -hmm. so that is good mm -hmm. uh, so that's one part where the students after first year due to any region even mm -hmm. medical mm -hmm. earlier there was no other way than the drop out but now a student can get a certificate after first year and rejoin after one year and get a diploma after second year and pass degree after third years okay. and honors after four years or honors with research then they don't do the masters they can mm. do for phd those who want to go to academics of course right. phd is not required mm. for those who do not want to go to academics mm. uh, and uh, so this is one which is the multi time entry exit so this is one second is that uh, the levels of internship and apprenticeship embedded internship this mm. is a good thing Mm. which is almost 12 to 14 to 16 weeks also in some cases the universities are free to provide them apprentice one was the industrial internship which was typically 6 to 8 weeks but now it is a uh, apprenticeship which is almost like uh, you know uh, learning while doing the job or maybe you are also getting the actual work and then get a job in those companies or mm. the work mm. so you are getting a trade and you are learning so this is second but third aspect is that migration across the universities for example one student may not get into let's say a top university but after two years for the lateral he or she may get into the third year into the top university okay yes so this provision is there now which helps Very another nice. element which is not directly part of nep but is academic bank of credit so all the universities now are supposed to upload their uh, scores and the grades in the academic bank of credit mm. and the students and the other university stakeholders are simply can access and download 
they're great. So it saves a lot of time mm. uh, from the uh, student perspective, if you see, and also employers. So it helps them a lot. A uh, few more element is that uh, the language uh, is we can acquire basic learning into your mother tongue. Mm -hmm. So the vernacular language has been strengthened. Now the engineering can be taught and is being taught in Hindi mm -hmm. or in Tamil and uh, slowly and nothing wrong because at undergraduate yeah. level, mm -hmm. we don't expect a student to be everybody to go out and abroad and do the Absolutely. work. Yeah. So if you're working with the laborers, workers, uh, I'll say levels in Tamil Nadu or uh, Kerala who mm. speak Malayalam is good that uh, you understand the technology in that language. Mm. Of course, English is a binding language yeah. that is being taught. Well said. So this is there. so a lot and a lot mm. of emphasis on research also has right. been there. Wonderful. Wonderful. Very nice policy. Fantastic. Thank you. And on that note, uh, Professor Surivanshi, uh, thank you so much for speaking to me about your journey. Thank you for talking to me about the wonderful work Giet Foundation is doing, all the amazing work the mentors are doing for the foundation. Thank you also for speaking to me about so many different aspects of higher education in India. Uh, and finally, thank you for talking to me a little bit about the new education policy. I think it's an eye-opener for me, who's not an educator or an academician, but I think some of the changes you have spoken out about give me a lot of confidence that we're heading in the right direction. Thank you again and good luck. Thank you so much, sir. Thanks. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience, and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website, www.tbcy.in, to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called you.